Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Still coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Actually, I do lie at the moment because as I record this, I'm actually up in the country uh, isolating from COVID. A bit of an outbreak in the family and um, I've escaped. Long story, won't go into all the details why, but uh, everyone is well. So big episode for you coming up. Uh, great guest, guy by the name of Stephen Green. Stephen Green hails from out Gippsland Way, member of the Sail Club. Met him a number of times when visiting the club down there. Great guy. And we will be catching up with him shortly. So stay tuned. But uh, before I get to that, don't forget to subscribe to everything, the uh, Flat Out RC podcast. Just click that subscribe button so you never miss out on an episode. The YouTube channel, go and have a look at some of the old videos that we've done over the time. Uh, Instagram and our Facebook page, of course, they're the main channels that we're playing around with. So let's get into it. Let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, before I get into it, a, a couple of reminders. Don't forget the Festival of Aero Modeling is coming up. Uh, that big event that's going to be held at Casino. Uh, we had David Garl on last week on the podcast talking about it. So if you haven't heard that, go and listen to David talking about the event and more stories about his life in aero modeling. Uh, but uh, that's coming up uh, the end of April uh, to register. This is the main thing. You have to register. Get onto the Land Down Under Aerosports webpage. I think it's LDU. Aerosports. I don't have a computer in front of me at the moment. I should should know this. Uh, but land down under Aerosports, you'll Google it and you'll be able to find it. And you'll go to their events page and there's a registration page. Click on that. Uh, the event's going to be big. Um, Martin Pickering's coming out from uh, Spain. Uh, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. If you haven't heard of him, just research on some of the podcast episodes that we've done. Great guy, good pilot. His partner's coming out as well. She's a really good heli pilot. So two good pilots coming out. So that'll be good. Lots of good planes that are going to be there. It's going to be a memorable event. I wish I could go, but can't double book myself. Uh, but it's going to be a big one. So don't forget, get onto the Land Down Under Aerosports uh, page. That's Tyson Dodd business up there in Queensland. Sells a lot of turbine gear, but uh, he's just helping out by utilizing his website. So get onto the events page and uh, register for that event and lots of other events. We've got the Wang Jets coming up down in Wangaratta uh, end of the month here in March four-day jet turbine event, VJA event, uh, jump on to uh, the VJA team app website or just go to the VJA uh, Facebook page, um, Vic Jets. Look, at, look up Vic Jets, V-I-C Jets, on the Facebook page and you'll see all the details there. And this weekend, uh, my home club, the Pakenham and Districts Aero Modelers Club, is having their Monty Tyrrell Day. All are welcome to come down and have a look. I think it's a $5 entry fee or something like that. I'll be on the gate. I am going to be on the gate at between 8 and 9 a.m. So say good day. I'll be collecting your money. Be polite. Uh, and uh, make sure you've got $5 exactly because I'm not good at maths and I'll probably give you the wrong change. So uh, look forward to seeing people there. I hope to shoot a video. That is the plan. So I'm going to share some of the love from that event. So stay tuned. A lot happening. Now, what's been on my mind? Well, I was uh, recently having a chat with a couple of uh, aero modeling mates. You know, those kind of mates, the mates that we just talk rubbish to most of the time. Yeah, well, I've got a couple of those mates happen to fly model planes. And we're talking about 
purchasing planes and selling planes and all that kind of stuff and got me thinking about how much are you willing to spend on model aircraft at the moment i'm willing to spend next to zero because i've got enough can you believe that i'm the first aero modeler to say i have enough airplanes i don't need any more uh but as we know uh, when you're an aero modeler one is never enough but how much are you willing to spend on model aircraft now We've got a big broad spectrum of models that we can fly in our hobby from you know cheaper foamy stuff all the way up to really expensive turbines. And uh, I'll start at the top end. I'm going to share with you my preference because you can send me a message with your thoughts. It'd be interesting to know. Uh, but uh, at this point in time, you're not on the other end of the line. Uh, so we see some jets, $30,000 that people may spend on a jet. Personally, I can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, I'm just probably be too anxious about losing that that plane because uh, it's not as if you can get you can get insurance for model aircraft, but not whilst they're flying. So, and that's when you really need it. Sometimes when you're flying something that big, you can, of course, insure it for theft and fire and all that kind of stuff when it's in your garage. But out at the fields, up in the air, I don't think anyone's going to insure you unless you're willing to pay a truckload of money. Uh, so. Very unlikely thing to happen, but um, can't do it. Can't spend that much money on a um, on a turbine jet. I just feel too uncomfortable, and I probably wouldn't enjoy myself. Now, this is just me speaking, because there's plenty of people out there that have spent a lot of money on on planes, and I'm glad they have, because I'm more than happy to sit back and appreciate the model that they've invested in, without the risk and the investment, and the cash outlay. Um, you know, I've always talked about the the diminishing returns of uh, the increasing enjoyment of flying a model plane. So, you know, I have fun flying a foamy and I can't say that flying a turbine jet is a, is 50% better than flying the foamy. It's just flying another model plane. That's just my view. So I couldn't do that. I think a lot of us, um, there's two, two, two schools of camp. There's two camps really in this debate. There's people that like buying great models and of course they can afford to do it. And to those people that can't afford to do it, but do do it. I think you know, a bit of balance, really. You know, like if it's a matter of whether you put food on the table or buy that turbine jet, man, put food on the table first. Forget about the turbine jet. That can come later. Go and make some more money. Save up. Do what you need to do uh, to get the cash to pay for that kind of stuff. But uh, most of us, I think, sit in the middle of the road. Most of us, um, you know, we've got the camp that will spend that money. Then we've got the camp that's always looking for the discount. You know, those guys at the field that always are trying to find the cheapest way out. And you just watch them, you know, invest in rubbish and have problems and, and the planes don't fly well and, and they're constantly tinkering and fixing things. And they may enjoy that part of the hobby, but I don't. Um, my, my philosophy is to invest in good, reliable gear and uh, any good airframes that you know that fly well because then life's a lot more enjoyable that way and because I'm very time poor, you know, busy time in my life, kids, family, business, etc. Uh, I don't want to be spending extra time fixing things. I'd rather be flying things or putting things together to go flying than fixing things. Uh, so I invest in good quality gear, servos, radio gear, airframes, uh, motors, that kind of thing. I'm not buying rubbish anymore. I've been through that phase when I first got into the hobby, learnt the hard way, got out of that. Uh, but yeah, I think most most of you are pretty much in the same boat as myself. Uh, so interested to see what you guys think, where what you're willing to spend. Jump onto the Flat Out RC Facebook page and uh, send me a message, or uh, 
I'll uh, put a post up maybe after this podcast episode and see what, what you guys think, maybe a poll or something to see how much you guys are willing to, to spend on your hobby. For me at the moment, it's as little as possible. It's guest time, my favourite part of the Flat Out RC podcast, and I suppose it should be yours as well. Uh, this week we have a, a guy by the name of Stephen Green. Um, Stephen Green, it's not the Stephen Green that uh, from the Green family that owned the RCM magazine here in Australia. It's another Stephen Green, which Stephen did remind me. He said, you know, this is this, the other Stephen Green. I went, yes, I know who you are. I've met you a number of times. You've always been a lovely guy. So um, always enjoy interviewing people and having a chat with people from all around the country. And this time we're going out to country Victoria, out to the east, to a place called Sale, and having a chat with Stephen Green. And Stephen, uh, a very active member at the Sale Club, which is one of my favourite clubs to visit. I always talk about the grass, and we'll talk a bit about the grass in the, in the interview, but Stephen flies a whole bunch of different things. Um, got big, big into helis, he's got gliders, he's got powered planes, he's got combat planes, you name it. He's a bit of an all-rounder, but he's that guy that you can uh, count on to to lend a helping hand. And so we'll hear about his story, what he's up to, and what he enjoys doing. So here's my chat with the one and only Stephen Green. We're back in Victoria with a guest, and this time we've gone out to the east of Victoria, to the Gippsland Way, to a gentleman that I've met a number of times down at the Sale Club, and that is Stephen Green. Stephen, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. It's quite uh, a surprise to be asked, but uh, yeah, very pleased to be here. Thank you. Well, it's interesting. We were, uh, we were when I invited you, like <laughs> me, what have I got to say? And he said, you know, I'm not the other Stephen Green. And I said, yes, I know. There's a Stephen Green that people may know through uh, the RCM News magazine that was around for many years. But this is another Stephen Green that happens to be an aero modeler and a good guy at that. That's why I wanted to get you on. And as I always say, everybody has a story in aero modeling and that's what we're going to uncover where did your journey in aero modeling begin well interesting question i guess where it actually began was maybe i was i don't know 11 12 or something living in melbourne an old man surprised me by well my old man surprised me by turning up one night with this new inbox enya 15.3 control line engine and just out of the blue no plane or anything just the engine Anyway, I was thought, gee, that's pretty nice, nice bit of gear, you know, and, and I liked sort of mechanical things and working out how things work, all that sort of jazz. And um, so anyway, I had this engine. Uh, then, I don't know, when I was 13, we moved away from Melbourne, parents bought a dairy farm at Fish Creek. So we're up there and um, the local, a news agency nearby at Langatha sold a bit of modelling stuff, um, including, you know, some Aeroflight kits. So, um, one way or another, I ended up with a Taipan trainer, control line trainer. Um, so that went with the Enya 15 and eventually got that going and had a bit of fun with that. So, you know, in sort of high school days. What year was this? Give, give us a year. Um, that would have been when we moved to Fish Creek. I would have got the engine probably in about, say, 67, I think. Probably got the plane in maybe 69, something like that. So over the next couple of years or so, had that had a uh, aeroflight husky which was a built up covered wing control liner 
Um, just had a bit of fun with that, just flying it on the farm. So, well, first of all, I'm still getting over the fact that your parents bought a dairy farm. So what they like work, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I'm thinking that's the last kind of farm I'd want because it's just nonstop, isn't it? Oh, it can be. Well, you know, it cured me of wanting to be a farmer, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But the, the upside is that you yeah. had plenty of space to go and uh, fly a Yeah, model. look, it was it was great. I loved it. I really enjoyed, um, you know, that move and living on the farm and, and so on. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was good. And so tell me, so these planes, did you build them yourself? Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the, the Taipan train is a pretty simple kit, just a solid sheet, um, like a bit of quarter-inch sheet balsa wing with a bit of a profile um, shaped onto it. Um, so, yeah, pretty easy model to build. Just worked out how to fly it. You know, doing it all on my own. There was nobody else around that I knew who knew anything about it. So just worked it out and configured this system where I could uh, and a bit, bit of a release system that I could release the plane, start the plane over at the edge of the circle. Uh, I had it attached to this thing that I could release my, my foot from the middle of the circle mm-hmm. and just away I went, you know. <laughs> um, just worked it out as I went. How were those first few, few flights? Did the uh, plane come back in one piece or multiple? There was probably some interesting stuff. Didn't like I don't recall it. Like, it didn't blow it to bits or anything, not in those early stages. Probably had a couple of um, moments, I'm sure. But I do clearly remember this threshold thing where somewhere, I don't know where I, I must have read it or something, this concept of don't uh, move your wrist, get your wrist rigid, but move your whole arm up and down. Mm-hmm. Ah, so the very next time I went out and flew, I did that. And, of course, it just damps out and, and you know, reduces the control throws that you, you send to the plane. And, oh, sure enough, the plane basically was just like as if it was on the end of a great big stick on the end of my arm, you know, and so I could fly it. And then, you know, over time you learn to do loops and bunts and, and wingovers and all of that stuff. And, yeah, it was good. Where did you get your information in those days about the whole thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't remember, you know, like Airborne maybe was around then. I'm, it's close. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I actually was thinking about that today. I, I don't know where I got that information from, to be honest. I just, I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't off the internet. <laughs> it's amazing you said that, uh, you know, the local news agent had, you know, modelling yeah. stuff, which is like unheard yeah. of nowadays, you know. but And even yeah. into the 80s, I remember seeing the little uh, – PT nineteen, those little Cox 049 kits around yes. all over the place. But um but yeah, it just it just shows you what an era would it have been for aero modeling back then. Because yeah, okay, your story is similar to a lot of people with coming through a control line, but um but obviously you must have enjoyed it. So you, you had those couple of so you had those planes, you said you had that wing as well. And then what happened after that? How did you keep them progressing? Um well, I sort of didn't. So I guess I had that while I was at high school and then um, oh, I started an apprenticeship as an electrician in, in Foster and uh, I didn't do any more aero modelling. Oh, um, let me guess. I was you got into cars. Cars, yeah, yeah cars, <laughs> motorbikes, just working, doing other stuff. Um, and then uh, next phase really was, oh, I remember at one point in my apprenticeship, first or second year, Tradesman and I were looking through the trading post. So this would have been maybe 72 or 73. And I remember, you know, I knew nothing about it then, but I remember we looked at this advertisement for what I seem to recall was a Futaba four-channel radio set. And I had this recollection that it was for $300 secondhand. 
and I'm guessing that was probably about right back then. Yeah, and like expensive. in my first year, I was bringing home $19 a week. And in my second year, I think I was bringing home $32 a week or something. And there's this radio set for $300 secondhand, you know, no plane or anything. Um, so, yeah, it was just seemed out of reach to me. Um, so that was sort of the end of that. Um, but the next thing came when uh, in 1982, I started working in the Bass Strait oil industry. And so I was flying around in helicopters all the time. And it really sparked an interest in helicopters. And then I think maybe I saw an airborne magazine that maybe someone else had had out there or something like that. Somehow I became aware of these radio-controlled helicopters um, and uh, presumably through an airborne magazine and wrote a roundabout, um, contacted Max Tandy. And um, next thing I had a new Graupner Bell 212 helicopter kit and a Futaba J-series helicopter radio and a Futaba FPG-153BB gyro and um, took all that home and worked out how to put it all together. And, and uh, what, what, what are we talking now, late 70s, early 80s? or Yeah, 82, 83, yeah. or probably 82, I would say. That name Max Tandy was in all the magazines, you just knew. Max uh, Tandy, yeah, look, he had that right around about column for, for decades. Um, yeah, so I went down and met Max, and he was great. You know, he gave me a whole bunch of information. It was extremely helpful. Um, and, you know, I got this thing built and ready to go and went down and saw Max where they were flying at Brayside. And um, among luminaries like Rob Barbuto and Simon Venk Vogel and uh, John Wessels, Barry, yeah, Barry someone, Ian Anderson, yeah, whole group of people there. Now tell me, when you went and flew the heli, did you do what, what I think the, the guys had told me is you basically followed around around the paddock, you know, just hopping it around? <laughs> well, it's a bit like that. So, you know, I had that, that four-legged fiberglass undercarriage with the, with the four balls on the end. And because it was this, look, I, I was probably, I don't know about a slow learner, but I certainly didn't become particularly, well, so I think I'm still particularly competent, but didn't rush forward in, in you know flying capability um but I, I fairly soon was you know hovering it and flying it around but really apprehensive because i had this fiberglass fuselage thing and i would desperately didn't want to crash it yeah but um look you know max had this um a set of techniques that he recommended for learning to fly helicopters and they were spot on you know it was to do with radio setup and and um combined with that undercarriage and a couple of things you do and a couple of things you don't do. And and if you followed those rules, you should have been able to get through your sort of hover training without any particular issue, which I did. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, so 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 you're working now, so you're making some income and you you went and bought an expensive helicopter because they were pretty expensive <laughs> back then, weren't they? Yeah, well, I had the opportunity then, so yeah, yeah. So you're pretty good. You're a bit like me. You know how to spend your money on stuff. Um, uh, that that yeah. other people go, why'd you do that? It costs so much money. You could have bought something else for <laughs> yeah. that. It's like, yeah, but it's a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. And so then after the and, helicopter, and back then it was expensive. Uh, yeah, it, it was expensive. I was a kid. Like my era was the eighties. That when I was, you know, sort of, I was born in what seventy three. And so 
you know, by the time I could remember stuff, I was in the 80s reading Airborne magazine and going, I'll never be able to buy any of this stuff. And it wasn't as if my parents were, you know, about to go and buy me all the gear. They would have, you know, they would have said, yeah. what do you want that for? Nobody was interested in <laughs> model flying kind of thing. We eventually exactly. got, some, you know, some RC cars and whatever. But, um, but uh, so, yeah, so then you're flying that heli. And now I know you still fly helis now. Have you taken a yeah. break from it or did you continue all along? Um, I did have a break. Um, so, I, you know, I progressed from there um, and, and moved into fixed wing and had a whole range of helis and aeroplanes and, and what have you. Um, so that went on for about 20 years, I guess, something like that. Um, so a fair bit happened in that time. But then, yeah, I did have a break. So you said you came down to Melbourne to fly with the heli guys or whatever, but, you know, were you a member of a club or...? Uh, not, an, well, actually around, right around that time, uh, was the genesis of, um, the Melbourne radio controlled helicopter club. Uh, I think I was a member of, I think I joined Archer, the Australian radio controlled helicopter association, still got that cloth badge on my flying hat. Um, and Melbourne radio controlled helicopter club, uh, was, was born around that time. Um, but I was just sort of flying when I was up, up at home around Foster and so on, just flying the local, local footy oval or whatever. Um, and then probably weekends, I guess, I'd often go down to Brayside and, you know, fly with Max and, and the group down there. Um, but then oh, I guess within about a year or so, someone I knew, a bloke I used to work with, um, he said, oh, you know, there's this bloke down at Inverloch who flies model aeroplanes in a club down there. So I said, why don't you come down and I'll introduce you to this bloke. So um, I went down to Inverloch and met this um, uh, since passed away fellow called um, uh, Eddie. And um, he gave me a fly of an aeroplane. And yeah, that was that was it. I, then I branched into aeroplanes as well and joined that club, joined Inverloch Flyers. So I was a member there for quite a long time. You've been around a bit. So then after, so, okay, so always interested in this. We know that most males, the majority of people that I've interviewed have a bit of a hiatus when they sort of finish school because they discover generally women and cars um, or <laughs> other motorised vehicles of some variety. But generally... Yeah, things, things with engines and wheels, anything well, with engines and wheels, what? yeah. Often when I, before I have a guest, I go onto their Facebook page and that gives me a bit of a picture of the kind of person. <laughs> and I was sitting there going... Oh, Stephen doesn't know this, but we're basically into the, exactly the same kind of things. It's like, you know how I've, I always say this is a social study and I saw all the car racing yeah. cars and I, I saw you went to yeah. Bathurst and I'm like, yeah. Do you know that I've raced at Bathurst, Stephen? You've raced at Bathurst? Yeah, look, I'm a racing car. I was a racing car. I did have a racing car once and took it to Bathurst. And it was, did you? Yes, it was unbelievable. Oh. It was the I, what, what were you racing? A Formula Ford single-seater. Oh, nice! And I um, I went there once, had such a good time that I never, I vowed never to go and race again to ruin the the uh, the memory of the awesome weekend that I had <laughs> at racing at the support category for the tw- was the twenty four hour race or whatever it was called the twelve hour yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. Back in about two thousand. Ah, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. But anyway, that was oh, awesome. But yeah, so cars and 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 we'll get to the radio control yachts because you know. It's, yeah. I, I don't mind them as well. But um, so you have this hiatus when you hit those sort of latter teenage years and you know, get into adulthood. How long was the break before you got into the helis? 
Uh, so I, I guess I finished control line probably something like 1970, 71 or something. That's when I was in 1972 I started working. Um, and then it was 1982 when I got back in. So I would have had a break of about 10 years or so between control line and radio control. That's very consistent because, remember, the male brain develops at the age of 28 and that's where you got every, all the stupid <laughs> stuff out of your system, doing burnouts and being a hoon. And wasting good money on, on yet, bad yeah. cars, but um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you got out of that phase and you came back, and that's that's consistent for anybody listening out there. Yeah. Listening to a lot of these podcasts, you're seeing a trend, aren't you? So you get back yeah. in, you get oh, into the hell. Yeah. Is. It's a common refrain, and whether it's radio control or motorbikes or something, you know, you get you get the opportunity, um, the time and the money becomes available, and yeah, you start pursuing some things that probably been on the back burner. Well, yeah, oh, I've got yeah, I've got this problem as well. We we suffer from the same affliction, uh, and everyone thinks I'm crazy. I got some like my wife's friends have got nicknames for me. They call me the hobby guy, and every every yeah. Christmas when we get together, they say, "So what do you got into now?" And I go, well, "I just bought a jet ski, three hundred horsepower supercharged jet ski, and it's mental." So now wait until they find out. Uh, oh dear! But that's why yeah, we work, awesome. isn't it? We work so that we can buy junk. Yeah, no, that's no why actually, I used to work. But anyway, yeah, well, that's true. You're in that 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 great period of life that I can't wait to be in. Yeah. But the um, yeah. okay, so you get back in the hellies, and then at that point of time, twenty eight years of age or whatever, did, have you had any other breaks along the way, or has it been consistent all the way through? Up till now, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So started radio controlling, you know, early eighties. Stuck with it for, uh, I'm guessing, maybe 20 years or something. Um, you know, had a lot of helicopters and a lot of aeroplanes in that time. You know, no big massive fancy stuff or anything, but, you know, just a lot of good fun recreational stuff. Um, and then, uh, I don't know why particularly, partly, partly well, like you maybe, I went racing go-karts for a while, so that, that took oh, my yes. interest for a while. I did that for a while um, as well when I was younger. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Go karts and water skiing, and, but um, yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just sort of wore myself out or something. I'm not really quite sure. I just it, it faded away, and, and other things piqued my interest for a while. And then what, what happened after that was, um, in the meantime, I moved to Sale uh, as part of a fresh relationship, um, and that was eleven years ago. And obviously, he knew that the club was here. I'd, I'd flown it. Um, they used to have an event called the Halifest many years ago. So I'd come up to several Halifests, and I'd just come there to have a fly from time to time. And an old workmate of mine is, um, oh, you would know Bob Bennett, so I imagine, but you know, Bob's an old stalwart of the club. He was a longtime workmate of mine. And then one day, I just said, oh, I need to get back into having a look at this radio control, you know. So I just drove out to the field one Sunday. I can see them. They flying around high or whatever, or jets or that. I can see them from my house. I'm very close to it. So I just went down there for a look and was just surprised to see another old workmate there who I had no idea was flying radar control. And he said, oh, I have a fly. And he had this very, oh, no. very well-used oh, no. old foamy Trojan. No, uh, it was fine. So he gave me a fly. I said, oh, mate, I haven't flown for years. He said, no, you'll be right. There we go. So I had a fly. And, of course, that planted the seed. And... Um, yeah, I was just enthused again. Stephen, I know oh, when yeah. you said to me, I just went to have a look. 
Yeah, yeah, it's never just the look, is it? No, nah, at the start of the year, I started looking at jet skis, and my wife said, "Stop looking," because <laughs> oh, I know what happens no. when you start looking. Yep. Now you've got a three hundred <laughs> horsepower jet ski. Yeah, yeah, that goes way too yeah. fast. Oh, we took it out last weekend. It was horrendous. <laughs> oh, they're, they're mental. Well, yeah. It, yeah, I've got a new saying: no one needs three hundred horsepower. It's the wife oh. was screaming at the back. It was terrible, but yeah. um. I'll have yeah, to they're wild. Anyway, but, uh, that's a bit off topic. But, yeah. Yeah. but anyway, no, it's on topic because there is no topic. We can talk about anything we want. But the uh, Fair but that whole concept of I went to have a look. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's it. And you haven't looked back since, have you? Well, so I had a go with this clapped out old Trojan, came home, went to where the, what I had left of, of models a few but anyway what i had left of them and the only one i grabbed hold of that the engine would just still turn over was a sig wonder with an os15 in it so oh, i'll see if i can get that going so i found some fuel and found a few bits and pieces fired it up out in the backyard yep still goes probably would have had it hooked up to the old jr 388s transmitter and um yeah whenever in the next few days or something took it out in the field and had a fly and Oh, that was it. Yeah, I was back. <laughs> of course yeah. you were. And so, when you mean you you when you came back, where which which direction did you go into? Did you go with the yeah. helis and, and and planes or planes? Which direction? Well, and firstly, planes. Um, I've still got several helis, but look, none of those are probably ever going to fly again. They've sort of become ornaments, you know. Um, but I. I, what's what I couldn't believe was how much it had changed um, because there was electric drive uh, back when I was doing it previously a friend of mine was or liked experimenting with electric but you know they're not had batteries and you know you'd have a pack of batteries that weighed half a ton to fly a plane and you know it was all evolving but you know, now there's these wonderful electric drive systems simple reliable 2.4 gig radios or not that the frequency matters, but, you know, frequency hopping radios and all of that jazz um, and unbelievably affordable by yes. comparison with decades ago. True. Um, look, I, I've still got a PCM 10 that I bought in, I don't know, 1990 or something like that. Uh, and I actually still use the case from it as my twin transmitter case, but I think I paid 3000 or $3,300 for True. it. I'll in 1990. You, I'll give you 10 bucks for it. Oh, yeah, was it even worth 10 bucks? <laughs> no, it was you just know. to put on the wall. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then, you know, I get back into it this time around, five years ago or whatever, and, um, well, you know, I need one of these two. Well, actually, initially I bought a, a DX6, but I wanted something else. So I bought a, a Futaba 18SZ. And for, you know, 1300 odd dollars, no, there's no servos with it, I know, but, um, there's this transmitter with a receiver that does amazing things that the PCM 10 didn't, and it's $1,300 compared with $3,300 back then. So what does that make it in real terms? Like, I don't know, a tenth of the cost or something. It, it, stuff. I get a bit frustrated when people suggest that stuff's expensive because compared with 30 years ago, it's dirt cheap. Well, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, things, things, it does start to get expensive because, you know, like I had a few pe people on the podcast recently that would 
They'd say how you bought a set of servos and you'd actually transfer those servos in between planes. You weren't buying multiple yep. sets of servos because everything was so expensive. And now yep. we, we don't do that and people have more models than ever. Like, you know, back in the day, you might have had two, three, four models and now it's like people got 20 or 30 models. So and I always say it depends on where, where, you, where you spend your money. You could buy one yep. really expensive model or buy 20 average model so you know well for, for a similar proportion of your income back then you might be have been able to have you know one plane and one radio and a few bits for the same proportion of your income now you might be able to have 10 models and some really good radios and a bunch of stuff you know you well and truly came back what did you end up purchasing from a plane Sorry, what did I end up end up purchasing from a plane perspective? Which way did you go? You know, did was it scale, aerobatics, foamies? What? I tend to just go for kind of just you know casual recreational stuff, I suppose. Well, what I did was um, I thought, okay, I like the idea of this electric stuff. I'm going to go that way. So you know, I flew to the Sig for a little bit, but look, when I was there, he was a guy having a great time with one of those um, hobby zone cubs, just a sport cub, red and white foamy, and I thought there's a cheap, easy way to just get kicked off with something electric. So I ordered one of them, just went home and ordered one of them from probably Model Flight and um, started flying that. And then some bloke was selling a, a Phoenix 1600 powered glider, flew that a few times. Um, then I got a, uh, I ordered from Hobby King a pattern plane called an Ionos. Bit of a funny looking thing with a bit of a sort of a boxy fuse, but. It was really nice. I enjoyed flying it. Um, it was good. And actually, our, our, our president, Ian Byers, he's the current owner of that. He enjoys flying it. I thought, well, I really like this sort of pattern playing concept because it's just so nice and smooth and accurate to fly. Um, so I found a used Sebart Wind S50E. Yeah, beautiful plane. So went and picked that up. I loved flying it. It was, it was really nice. And then... I was trying a rolling circle one day, too low, ran out of talent, down is up and up is expensive and, and wrote it off. Oh, gee. Um, so I came home and they weren't made anymore, so I just ordered a Sebart Mytho S50. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and no, I love it. It's it's great. They make you look good. <laughs> just as well. <laughs> I, I was saying, like, uh, every time I flew it, people come up to me, gee, you're flying well. I go, it's not me, it's that plane. <laughs> just as easy. <laughs> you know, there's a reason that pattern planes have the sort of proportions that they do, isn't there? And, and yeah, they do. They just they just fly really nice. I love them. Well, never, I've never thought about this until now, and you're right, that we do know, you know the world knows how to make a good flying plane. And when you look at a pattern plane, they just do, they just fly so well. So we've seen that, you know, that transfer into some of the, the scale aerobatic planes that have sort of generally moved away from true scale dimensions, try to, you know, build big turtle decks and things like that to improve knife edge performance and whatever. But it just shows you that not all planes fly the same and that um, a well-designed model like a, like a pattern ship really is the epitome of good design when it comes to model aircraft. So... Yeah, well, it's designed with one specific goal in mind, isn't it? You know, and, and of course they're becoming, um, you know, they're becoming odd-looking things with those massively tall fuselages now. But yeah. you know, long tail moment. You know, I think the long tail moment is probably the biggest single characteristic that helps you to, you know, especially in like you know the sort of the pitch, 
yes. um, uh, movements like you know, loops and what have you. So it's nice and easy to be nice and smooth. I do like I, I do like a long tail. That's why I think I've always been a fan of extras um, with that long yeah. tail moment than some of the other models that are around. But um, yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so what are you currently flying? Well, I have that. So, you know, that nearly always goes out. Although uh, December, we'll go back earlier last year, the, the Draco came out and I thought, gee, they're nice. And to some extent, I was pleased that they sold out in five minutes because I thought, oh, that saved me a few dollars. And then, uh, you know, December, the model flight and everyone else was advertising that they were back in stock. So I couldn't help myself and bought one of those. How do you find that? Which is all... Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like it. Um, except that. So it's great to fly and, and it really is stole, you know, and, mm. and it's good and they look great. Yeah, I like it. I'm pretty disappointed in the undercarriage. It's oh, a bit really? wobbly and, and bendy and not very good. And in fact, I believe that caused me to break three blades off the propeller last time I landed it. Oh, good one. I, that's surprising because I've, I've flown one. I've had one. I've just recently sold it. It's only because... Yep. I just don't need another stole plank, so I've only got one kind of thing. But um, <laughs> so it's like brand new. But um, I found yeah, very it really can fly slow, amazingly well. Oh but yeah, it was actually yeah. really stable when it was very slow. Um, yeah. yeah, short tail moment. Didn't really appreciate that too much. But um, but the um, yeah, landing it on the on the because it's got that that sprung sort of undercarriage as well. But I didn't it springs like, with no damping. Yeah, like a pogo stick. Yeah. I'm going to try and get some um, some dampers off, uh, damp units off like a, a radio control car or yes, something. Yes, that'd be perfect. And replace those spring units with proper dampers. But also the the forward hinge on that suspension unit's really wobbly where yeah. it attaches to the undercarriage bow. And I think what happened the last time I landed, I reckon what happened was the wheels canted in at the top. Uh, it wasn't like a hard landing, but I canted in at the top, and there's these gouges in the tyres where I think the top of the tyre or the edge of the tyres leaned in, grabbed hold of the nylock nut on the end of that oh, pivot yeah. bolt and just locked up, just put the brakes on. Because oh, okay. I just landed like kind of any other time and then in an instant the plane was on its back oh, and I think it just locked up the wheels. So anyway, I'm going to redesign that. How good is the um, how good is the scale detail of that foamy, of the Drake? Oh, they're fantastic. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, look, actually, it's a brilliant plane. It's still sitting Very in the garage, good. actually. But um, yeah, it's, uh, is it? it's sold. Yeah, it's sold. Uh, it's a friend of mine's getting it, but uh, we haven't had a chance to exchange. But um, yeah, it's it's. I just can't believe how good the scale detail is on the on that thing. Yeah, it, it really is good. Yeah, I've I really enjoyed flying it. Oh, it just shows you how um, uh, the future with foam aircraft and how much detail they can put into them. Because I think they laser scanned. Oh, laser scanned the real Draco. They, they did. And then yeah, you know, I sent a um, yeah three D laser scanner and um, to get all that detail. Yeah, and so so imagine what they can do with other models now. So oh yeah, just, yeah. The only thing I get scared with the Draco is there's a lot of detail that can break off and damage. Oh, I, well, my, <laughs> it's not when it's in the air. It's it's oh, moving them putting them out of the car. And oh, the yeah, I know. exactly. It's like initially gonna... I didn't put those three antennae or the steps oh, yeah. on. Because uh, I thought, ah, oh, they'll just last five minutes in the oh, car. But anyway, in the finish, oh, look, I put them on and they're still there. So yeah, I yeah. just try and be careful with it, you know. I put them on as well and I thought, oh, I just got to, yeah, keep, keep an eye. Yeah. Very, very precious. It's you know, it's right next to the jet ski now. But uh, <laughs> that'll go to a new home. What else are you flying? Have you got any helis? Just back on the planes for a moment. Another thing okay. I really like and, and 
partly probably because I find that proliferated through the club a bit of the, the twisted hobbies, um, 3D, just flat foam planes. Yeah, I, I just great. call them flat planes. But sheer, we have some fun with those. And I reckon they're just brilliant things for practising your eye-hand coordination. Exactly. They're, oh, they're just great. And they're, they're so crash-worthy and, you know, you at worst, you might bust a bit off. We bang a bit of glue on it and go and fly it again. And they're just, they're just fantastic. I love them. Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've got one in RC Factory uh, Edge XL, which is the same as the Velocity about one point one, one point two okay. wingspan or something like that. But I've got, I've got a smaller, I've had a smaller one as well, like an indoor, indoor one. But um, yeah, that hand eye coordination. I actually, you know, a mate of mine that was flying little foamies when we were practicing 3D and stuff, he go, oh, this one needs to be trimmed, you know, it's not flying straight. I said, you know what? Don't worry about that. The whole exercise of flying a plane like that is the hand-eye coordination and, and even if it's not flying yeah. perfectly is to train your brain to compensate with the sticks. Yeah. So I, I yeah. know, and, cool. and, t- and flying them in the wind is fun. Yeah. We all fly 800 mil ones out of the backyard series. Yeah, yeah. And I mean – it's just about impossible to fly straight and level, but that's not what they're for, you know. They're for tossing around and, you know, maybe practising rolling circles down low with nearly no consequence or, you know, I always catch it when, I, when I'm going to finish flying it, you know, and just practise that. And it's just, yeah, it's just great um, dexterity learning, I suppose. Mm, yeah. So and- I, I really like them hassle-free on the mind as well because you know that if it, it yeah. will bounce and you can glue it back together again. So. <laughs> exactly. It's virtually impossible to write one off. And and I probably build a new one about every year or 18 months or something. You know, they get a bit knocked around. Yeah, they get a bit bent. get a bit all heavy with glue and what have you. So I just give it to someone else in the club and then build another one. You're getting them from Aussie Aero Works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to Aussie Aero Works if you want your. Oh uh, uh, yeah, he, he's doing a great job, Tom and Jans. I I like to supply. Uh, sorry, uh, support local suppliers. Um, and there was a you probably possibly know there was a time when there was nothing going there. Whoever had it, yeah, um, it fell apart and they didn't exist. Well, yeah, they, they weren't there. And then uh, John, yeah, is it? John got it but in between, a few of us wanted planes. And I couldn't get them. So I actually contacted the factory and bought 10 from the factory. Oh, did you? Yeah. And then you wouldn't believe it. In the time between me ordering them and them arriving at my place, um, John started it back up again. (sighs) I couldn't believe it. But anyway. But we've we've since bought quite a few from John. So, yeah. Well, I I got one for free when I had the magazine do a review. Oh, yeah. And they were great. Yeah. They were a lovely bunch of yeah. people. Because often I'd go to yeah. the manufacturers. Sometimes the local dealers didn't like it, but I always like, oh, I'll go to the I'll go to the, the 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 head office and ask them if they want me to review a plane or something. I'll put it in the magazine. And um and rather than burden the local guy to give me a model kind of thing out of their own pocket. Yeah. And um yeah. and they and I would always still mention the local supplier in the articles, but um yeah, the guys at RC Factory were, were great um, and they, they sent me the whole kit, including the electronics and the servos and all that kind of stuff. And then um, fortunately, Ido Sega was around and I got him to come and test fly it. And he'd done a lot of development work with um, with foam models in the past. And um, his words to were, and I think I've got a, the, the audio recording and I put up on YouTube of him talking about the model. 
um, I think I did. I can't remember. I think no, I think I did. But he, um, yeah, he reckons it one of the best foamy models he ever flew. He said, I just can't believe how how precise this this model is. Uh, yeah, he loved uh, it. Now, are you talking about the, the now the twisted hobbies planes? Yeah, yeah. Or did he say Hustle that Hustle. about the? Didn't he say that about the? Uh, he. Slope glider? No, well, no, he liked that, but um, we had a bit of fun okay. with that. No, we right. had, yeah, the RC Factory Edge XL, it was. Yeah, yeah. okay. Down at yeah, the, right. uh, I rang him and said, Edo, I need you to come and test fly. I, I always made him the test pilot because he could give me really good feedback. So if you're going to get someone to test a plane, <laughs> oh, very good. You, you don't get the average hacker. You go and get someone that really knows and has that feel for a model plane. And so I'd ring him up and he didn't live too far away. Edo, I need you to test a plane. Okay. And he'd come and go, meet me at this park. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it was like, okay, I'd have it all ready to go when he turned up. He'd fly it. I'd take some photographs and say, closer. And he goes, okay, no problem. Here. I go, yep, okay. And he could put it anywhere. And then, and I remember he did one flight. He goes, okay, give me one more battery. I'm having fun. I put another battery in. So 10 minutes later, we were done. He goes, oh, and it was like, okay, bye. He went one way, I went the other. And that was uh, another test flight done. But I, and I'd always yeah. record him talking about the plane but yeah he absolutely loved that so yeah we love the rc factory planes and and i think anybody that's into that 3d aerobatics um kind of space we all know it we all know that the rc yeah. factory planes are sort of the go-to but i must say jace Ducia um is producing some um some some uh foamies that look pretty good as well um okay i think they're a bit they might be a bit, little bit smaller than some of the, the the stuff depending on you know the rc factory got plenty of different sizes more yeah they have small backyard range, yeah. kind of stuff to the bigger stuff but um i've had i've had the uh, rc factory what was it laser light that i used to fly indoors and that was great I've, yeah like you said they get bent up I, I had way too many crashes and the wings were bent <laughs> and and i was fighting it all the way and then i i've recently replaced it so and what about i i noticed on your facebook you've got a glider tell me about that a big, big f5j glider i think it is isn't it yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the fellows in our club who's probably reasonably well known around the south, well, he was in the club, um, Scott Matthews, Rowdy. Yeah. Um, he's since left radar control to, to, to get into ultralight flying. But, um, yeah, he turned up with a stalk at the field one day and I thought, ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's just yeah. lovely. Don't they look good? I had really no need for one, but it's just so plenty nice, you know. So at some point I thought, ah, oh, that's it. I'm going to. I think I, I might have sold something or something. I thought, I'm going to blow some dough on one of these things. So um, I bought that off, uh, yeah, what's his name, up in New South Wales or Queensland. Anyway, um, bought that and, and put it together and oh, well, it's just a beautiful thing, you know. It's just this, it's a light version, you know, so it's oh, incredibly thin carbon fibre, you know, and it just, I can't believe how how little some of the components weigh you know the rudder you can just barely feel it in your hand and they're just beautiful bits of equipment and um i haven't flown it a lot but but it's it's just nice have you ever launched in the back of your head launch oh what do you mean like the tail into your head or something see i can teach you how to do it because i've done it with my big glider oh really yeah yeah no don't, don't teach me that well, look, it's been repaired. I haven't picked it up yet. Uh, but um, let's just say that uh, I'm very honest here, Stephen. I don't hide anything from anybody, but I didn't lift my hand up enough. And you know how there's their really long fuselage on the F5J gliders? So there's actually a delay between the release and the tail plane hitting me in the back of the head. Um, and I don't, I've got a very thick skull, so it didn't hurt me. There was no injury, but the back of the, uh, the, back of the fuselage did crack. 
and uh, it injured the plane, and then it went up oh. in the air, and then it went down nose first, and uh, oh. so it cracked the back of the fuselage, just getting worse. Cracked the side of the front of the fuselage, oh. broke the spinner, pulled it apart. The motor broke as well, but oh. fortunately, uh, Dave from uh, Dave's Big, Big Boys, Boys Toys, Toys. Uh, has come good in finding a fuselage for me, rebuilding okay. it, rebuilding it for me. And then charging me a, a sufficient amount, but fair, fair. He's a fair guy. He hasn't ripped me off. But let's just say yeah, um, yeah. it wasn't yeah. a cheap. It's probably the most expensive crash that I've ever had. But I had oh, to. Dude. I got onto it straight away to replace it because, I, like you, you know, when you look at it, you just fall in love with it and oh, you think I just need just to fly that. And so, yeah. and I can't yeah. wait. I'm so keen to go and fly it. I'm just running yeah. out of time. We, oh, well, we've got a, a bit of a constraint where we are at SADAC there, um, Sailing District Air Models Club. Uh, where we, where our field is, is slap bang between the East Sail RAF Base and the West Sail Aerodrome. Yeah. And if you were starting a club today, there's no way you would put it on that site. But anyway, that's where we are. And so we have to be, everyone should be, but we have to be particularly careful about the 400-foot ceiling. Um, now we have got a formalized arrangement, um, where in certain circumstances we can get a 1000 foot ceiling. Um, so, and that's typically on, uh, weekends and public holidays is what it basically works out to. So, um, if all the other criteria we need to satisfy are met, we can, we can get a thousand foot ceiling typically on a weekend. So. I'm restricted to sort of taking it, even though I can go there any day, and it's easy for me to go out the field any day. Typically, I'd be looking for a you know a warm warmish Sunday um, to be able to take that glider out and use it reasonably well. So, yeah, a little bit constrained like that. But. Let's talk about the Sail Club for a bit because it is one of my favourite clubs to visit, and I honestly mean <laughs> that. And 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 I've been there a number of times for um your um what's the event called. Okay. Uh, the NAP day. NAP day, yeah. Kero the NAP Nitro. day, K-N-A-P, Kero yeah. Nitro, Amps, Petrol. NAP, That's the yep. one. And um, it is a phenomenal event and it's a great – the thing about the Sail Club is when you turn up, everyone was just so nice. They are so welcoming, <laughs> more so than any – and there's been some lovely clubs. Yeah. The guys up at Echuca are great. Tony Wilson down, Bansdale. You know, a lot of these country clubs are just – are really nice, but there's something about – the sail club. There's something about actually the Gippsland clubs that I love, but the sail club has yeah. been phenomenal. And you know, I used to go down there with Edo Segev, and and he used to always talk about yeah. it. He used to always say to me, it was yeah. one of the places that he always felt comfortable going to because he didn't feel comfortable at some of the clubs because he flew 3D and people didn't like it or didn't understand no. it, etc. But no. he had always yeah. um, that was the event that he went to more often than not when he was. Yeah. Sort of waning in the in the hobby when he was doing full size flying. If I said to him, "We're going to sail," I go, "Okay." Um, and that was probably one of the one of the last events I think he ever went to. But but um, and we took his brother once yeah. when his brother was visiting. But absolutely loved it. So the sail club, you own the land, don't you? Yeah, we own half of it. So you know the layout there. So we own from you know where the sort of the car park is out on the road mm-hmm. back to the far side of the strip. Um, so basically, if you draw draw a line parallel yeah. with the strip down the middle of the field, just yeah. the other side of the strip, okay. we own that. The other half's on one of the MAAA leases. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. So we, you know, we can't 
And now it's, it's a couple of good things in our favour there. You know how close we are to the town, of course. You know, we're yeah, literally on the edge of sail. It's a great location. But that area there is a floodplain. And, and well, we had 400 mil of water through our clubhouse earlier this year. So no one will, you know, it'll never be built on. We can't be built out. Um, houses will never get any closer than they are now. Um, so aside from the difficulties of being so close to two uh, air, airfields, aerodromes, um, we're, we're pretty lucky to own the land. We won't be built out, so we're pretty secure there. Just as long as we behave ourselves. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going for the club. It's interesting how many flying clubs are in swap land. Like my, the club that I'm at, that floods, uh, and so nobody's going to want that. The uh, it's another club down P here. And Darks. Yeah, P and Darks. Yeah, P and Darks. Yeah, they they can't. Well, they own the field as well. Um, another club down here called Parks. It's built on Melbourne waterland. That's just a swamp. The upside though is there is no other club in Australia. I reckon. That has the grass that the sail club has got. The, oh, like, mate, you ought to see it now. It We've good? had plenty of rain this year. Oh, it just it looks magnificent. And one of our members, Graham Duck, he's just done a fantastic job of um, upgrading the blades on the slasher. And the you know we've sort of got the that short grass areas, you know, the strip and the apron and all that. And then there's the the outfield if you want to call it that. But even the outfield now is just looking magnificent. It's yeah, it, it just looks really good at the moment. I'm really happy. Every time I've shot a video there, I've just like look at the grass. It's just it is like a bowling green, and it's it's yeah. flat. It's just well. It's it is literally. I don't know how to describe it. It's just absolutely look, for, for a grass strip. It's pretty good to fly off for a grass strip. You know, it's short and even. Yeah, it's good. We're we're pretty fortunate. The grass you got there is just this, this smooth grass, yeah. and, and even yeah. into the pit area, and it's just neat and well maintained. It's just if anybody wants to go and see it, jump onto the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and look up KNAP um, down at Sale, and I've done some videos there. And I always talk about the grass, but yeah. it is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, the um, it's great. How many members are down there? We've got seventy at the moment. Oh, really? So I think typically it ran around like in the forties, and I think when I joined. Roughly five years ago, I think there was sort of forty-five or something like that. Yeah. Um, and look, along the way, before my time and in my time, the club's done a lot of um, promotional events. You know, like having displays in the local Mowling Town, um, raffles. You know, giving away brochures. You name it. Articles in the paper, local paper, all sorts of things to try and get members. And pretty much all we ever got out of all that effort was one member who responded to an ad in the paper for a come and try day. And uh, he's Graham Jackson's now our vice president, but um, we put in a lot of effort, but, but yet it's particularly bizarrely, I suppose through COVID we had people just walking in the door. Um, we, we picked up a lot of new members over the last couple of years. And we're also very pleased to have a reasonable proportion of juniors um, including a, uh, a young girl. So uh, we're pretty happy with that. I've, well, I've always watched from afar through the Facebook activity and stuff like that, and it is it is a reflection of the, of, of the culture of the club. You know, I've talked about culture clubs mm. throughout the years, and I use Sail as an example, that it's a very welcoming club and you, you foster people's development and you support people, especially newcomers. 
which is something that like I've spoken to the president of the MAAA and, the, and, and they've identified that part of the problem with the growth of the hobby is the reluctance of some clubs to be so welcoming to people that, you know, they can put all this effort yeah. in and then it all comes undone when you tell them to your local field and like, well, I don't know if we can help you, you know, have you got a plane? Oh, I don't know. Whereas that culture that, yeah. that's at the sale club seems to be really, really positive um, and generous that, that makes people feel welcome and, and part of the club. So... And, but, well, uh, thank you for the compliments. I mean, that's it, really nice to hear that. But yeah, you know, well, I guess we yeah we, we try to be like that. And... Well, if you've got if you had that much growth, I don't I haven't heard of any other club having that kind of growth. But there's something I always say there's something in the water down that Gippsland way that all the all the clubs there <laughs> are really welcoming and they and you all support each other. Yeah. When all you when you run your fun flies, yeah. everyone's going to each other's events and and supporting them. And tell me, did yeah. you get into combat flying a bit? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, our president Ian Byers and his his cousin Paul Richardson they kind of um, cloned uh, Sig Wonders and and they kit these um, things out, you know, just foam kits um, and sell them pretty cheap to to anyone who wants one. And um, so just this foam Sig Wonder electric motor streamer out the back, and we just have a ball. We we had a couple of combat sessions in the last couple of weeks and. I mean, you know, you never aim for the streamer, do you? You always aim for the plane, but <laughs> it was a pretty good ride off there the other day. And I smacked a couple out of the sky and got away scot free. And, uh, look, we, we have a ball. It's a, it's a real lot of fun right through from the other kids right up to, to, to everyone. A lot of people get in there and have a go, and it, it really is a lot of fun. And people love watching it too. You know? exactly. It's good entertainment. That's what I was going to say. It's not yeah. just about the flying. It's it's also the people watching it as well. They really yeah. enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think... Again, that's another example of the kind of club. Let's go and have some fun. Let's go and let's purposely try to run into each other, kind of thing in the form of combat. So, yeah. a, and at your fun fly day, you always have a bit of a combat session as well, and um, and it's all eyes to the sky when that's happening. And and uh, uh, the enthusiasm of the young bucks with combat is is hilarious to watch. <laughs> like, it is. It's great. They yeah. just get so enthusiastic about trying to crash into other people. It's awesome. Yeah. Now. I mentioned-, mentioned Tony Wilson from Bansdale just before, and, and they'd come down to our field one day, and, and his son um, Darcy, oh, Darcy, Darcy had got a combat one of those combat models, and I smashed him out of the sky. Oh, good. And uh, anyway, not long later, we were up at their club, and boy, oh boy, did he do a number on me. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. It was, I was, was talking. Wonderful. It was pretty good. I was talking to them the other day in the car, and, and Darcy was giving me heaps, so I was just giving it back to him. And Tony's saying, <laughs> "You two, stop it." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was like Dad was telling us off. Um, now we mentioned RC yachts, right? And I know this is a flying kind of thing, but you know we love radio control. And um, I actually, my mate Edo, he comes up again. He he, he gave me a, a yacht, yeah. um, and uh, and it's how did you get into the RC sailing thing? Um, firstly, um, I know, you know Edo was a great friend of yours, and, and I saw him up at the you know one of those NAP events and. Oh, his flying display just blew my mind, you know. And what, what a what a great bloke, you know. And it's um, so sad that he's no longer here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been awful. two years. But, yeah, two just, years. Just had the anniversary. Anyway, what a what a lovely fella. Yeah. And my sympathies to you. He didn't like the RC yacht, so he gave it to me. Yeah. But, and I went, this is unreal. It's the only thing I don't have that's radio control is a yacht. I've got everything else covered. Yeah. I just need the yacht. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? It is. Well, um, you know, some of the blokes in the, the club here, and as you possibly know, we've got this lovely lake right in the middle of Sale, Lake Guthridge, right in town. Mm. 
And um, some years ago, they got the council to put in a dock for them. Um, so we got a dock to sail off. So, um, oh yeah, every typically on Thursday and Saturday morning, eight o'clock, get down the lake, you know. So for the blokes that want to have a sail or a motor, a motor boat, you know, I've got I've got powered boat as well, a couple of power boats. Um, yeah, so we get down there and have a great fun having a sail or or drive the power boats around. It's, yeah, it's very, good. Uh, I find it really relaxing when you because it's quiet oh, when yeah. you're sailing. Yeah, and you just have a yeah. chat and then. And yep. know, when I've been out, you know, they do some races and the races might last 10 minutes max. And then, you know, and I'll fluff fluff the start or something, but I always know, well, we'll be starting again in 10 minutes time and I've got another crack. So, um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I love my, my yacht. I haven't used it for a while, yeah, but uh, yeah. I will get it out again. Now, do you like building or not? I used to like doing a bit of building. It was never really my favourite thing, you know, and, and you'll know full well, you know, some people just love that building side of it. You know, we've had a member until recently in our club. He just loved building things. He hardly ever flew. He mm-hmm. just loved building things. Um, I'm, I, you know, I've done a bit of building in the past and certainly from, from kicks as well. And my first playing was a pilot QB40 way back then when I started with Inverlock Flyers. Um, so plenty of kit planes, uh, a couple of scratch builds. But, look, I don't do any of that anymore. And really, I, I, it would be... Sometimes, to some extent, difficult. I only have a tiny little shed here where I live, so I haven't got much in the way of room. Just got a tiny little desk in this shed, so it would be difficult to build anything large. So. You're like me. Yeah, that's a problem I've got. You know, that, that, I think people forget about that. Is that you need a fair bit of space to build? Well, you do, but and there's there's so much stuff that's so affordable that you just go out and screw together stick some fuel or a battery in it and go and fly you know it's, it's just right. so easy to do as i always say is the uh the hot the industry responded to the problem which is having to build planes even though i do admire people that have got that patience and that skill to build yeah, yeah. some of these models yeah. like you know there's nothing beats a nice scale model really to look at and i always say i love oh, flying yeah, aerobatic yeah. planes but when you go to a fun fly event the most boring planes there are the aerobatic planes because I just don't have the same sort of character as, you know, they're the best planes to fly, but they just don't. Yep. They're not as exciting as seeing a nice tiger moth or something like that. But um, that's, that's what I always say to my friends. Oh, don't take your aerobatic plane to the fun fly. Take something that's a bit scale-like and, and, and mix it up a bit and give, give the audience something yeah. to look at. But, um, but uh, yeah. What about um, the helicopter story? Do you want me to finish yes. that a bit? Yeah, yeah. Keep on telling me about helis. So not so not long after I got back into RC, you know, up here, um, all right, I better get back into helis. So there's all this different stuff around. Um, and I found um, on, you know, RC Trader or something, uh, Goblin 570, that a bloke in Melbourne was selling. So I went and got that. And, boy, that was a bit of a learning curve, these new gyros. Um, I didn't, and I'm just sort of on my own. didn't have any sort of advice for anyone. I didn't really understand the principles of the, the modern flybarless gyros. But anyway, bit by bit, I worked that out and learned that. And after I promptly rode off this 570 and a mm-hmm. silly disorientation thing, flew it into the sun. And then, but I went and bought another one and a new kit and put all the gear into it and, and um, progressed from there. And really happy with them now. So I've got quite a few goblins. I've got, I don't know, five goblins. Five? Um, Why five? <laughs> yeah, I've got a. Oh, I don't know. It's just because they come up, you know, and, oh, yeah, that's good value. I, I probably better get that. I've got a 380 and a 420 and a 570 and a 700 oh. competition and a Kraken tri-blade oh, really? 700. 
They've got a so, lot of yeah, These What I'm amazed uh, with Hellies yeah. is they've just got more and more powerful. They're, they're pretty they're, – they're awesome machines. I mean, I'm, I'm not an awesome pilot, you know, I'm pretty laid back, cruise around, do a few loops and rolls. I can't do sustained inverted flight or anything like that, but it doesn't matter. I love them. I enjoy them. Um, and then it, that Grautner 212 that I learned to fly on in 1982, after about, I don't know, six, seven, eight years or something, I'd moved on and got an XL and had some Herobos and what have you, and I, I thought, oh, I'll sell this 212. So I gave it to Max to sell on for me, Max Dandy. And so off it went. I don't know. Where, no, I didn't know where it went. It just disappeared somewhere. And then, oh, maybe four years ago or something, I saw. I think on a forum or something, I saw a bloke just happened to get a glimpse of a bloke who was advertising for Grotner Two One Two parts. I thought that's interesting. So I looked at this thing, and here's a picture of this bloke, and hanging up on the in the roof behind him is my old Two One Two. Is that a pretty distinctive SO uh, helicopter colour scheme? That's my old 212. So I contacted this guy, who probably a lot of people will know as Ivan Miller. And um, it was him who bought this thing off Max Tandy. So I went and met him at Kilmore and, and, and one thing and another. And, and then uh, a couple of years later, he contacted me and said, hey, do you, do you want to buy that 212 back? So I did. Yeah. And I uh, went and got it back off him. And as I say to people, I'm, I'm the third of two owners. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's awesome. Yeah. Have you flown it or is it just going to – No. You're no, just going to keep I, it there for the memory of it? I don't want to fly it. I don't want to risk crashing it and smashing up the fiberglass fuse. No way. It's yeah. just an expensive ornament. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at them now yeah. on the internet and, um, gee, it's a nice heli. Don't mind the look of it. Yeah. You know, pretty early days heli, you know, fairly simple thing and, you know, helicopters were really evolving at that point. Um, but, you know – early-ish days of collective pitch helicopters and yeah yeah you know taught me to fly but it was really nice to get it back it was a pretty sentimental sort of a thing and ivan had amassed a whole bunch of spare parts and he'd even bought new old stock from grotner and, and what have you so got a few bits and pieces with it it's nice to have it back yeah, yeah. that's awesome and so uh the average uh flying session for you what does it consist of is it is it, it was your first port of call the fixed wing or or the helis Oh, on a typical day out of the field. Yeah. Um, especially if it's calm, I'll probably usually start with the, the RC factory. Just get out there with a the flat plane and, you know, have a bit of a muck around and, and loosen the thumbs. Uh, if it's, you know, that typical calm bit in the morning. Oh, so I've got those goblins I mentioned. I've also got an OMP M1 and an OMP M2. So I might give those little micro alleys a fly while it's nice and calm. Yeah, they're good. Um, yeah, and then... You know, I'll either have the um, uh, the Draco or the or the Mytho out there, whichever. You know, usually one or two flies of those, maybe a fly of one of the, the 700 or whatever big helicopter I take out or the, one of the medium ones. But also spend a bit of time, tend to spend a bit of time, you know, helping others, um, instructing. Did the instructor's course a few years ago. Um, do quite a bit of instructing out there. And the club's got a couple of club trainers. Actually, that... That first electric plane I said I bought, that red and white Cub, it's it's out there as when I just gave it to the club as a club trainer and we've got a couple of radios out there that we can um, do buddy box training with on either mode one or mode two. Um, so there's always somebody who's working towards their bronze wings in the club. So myself, Ian Byers, 
sometimes Neil Brewer or Bob Bennett's will um, help those learners. But yeah, spend a bit of time doing that. Yeah, you do. I, I know you was a, a pretty uh, enthusiastic club member helping out, which is um is always appreciated because somebody's got to make the effort. And, and I, but I, I guess I keep on saying to you, I, I see. I see the benefit of it, you know, when you when you go to the club and the culture that's there, you know, and I've told so many people about the sale club and the culture that yeah. they have and uh, always feel well. I wish I had more time to come down there because it is like the grass, the grass strip is just phenomenal. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know. It's just something yeah. that, that, about the grass. And <laughs> I was telling the guys at the, my club, you know, go down to sale and have a look. Actually, I did. I told the, um, the groundskeeper, I said, go and have a look at the sale club. And he said, oh, I've heard the yeah. grass is really good. I said, go down. <laughs> and we'll go and have a chat with a guy that looks after the grass. Uh, uh, yeah, but the um because they do uh, it's a different t- type of leaf though. We're talking about grass now. We've been all over the place with this podcast, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, but that's all right. Yeah, but it's airplane grass. Airplane grass. It's it's important grass. It is. Yeah. It, it's oh, it, look. But, you know, something that occurred to me not long after I joined the club was all this stuff there as well just gets done. We don't have rosters or anything. We don't need to. Oh, but there was a fellow. Um, Terry Cush was our short grass mower on the on the zero turn Toro, uh, but he he's got some um, you know joint issues, um, you know buggered old ankle or whatever, and he can't really run the mower anymore. So Graham Duck, he he just took over. No one asked him. He just oh, Terry can't do it. I'll go and mow the lawn. So now Ducky does that, and he's also tuned up the Toro so it cuts lower and better and more even. Oh. Uh, but, you know, and then we go, oh, Barry Coglin, he does all of the weeding and looking after the, the fencing, the electric fence. We go, oh, we've got a rabbit problem, so we put in electric fencing to keep rabbits out. So Barry looks after all that, and he'll tow the weed cart, weed killer cart around, spraying weeds and that, does a fantastic job. Yeah. And then we've got Neil Brewer gets on the trash, uh, tractor, we're on the slasher, and does the you know, sort of the outfield grass, the longer grass. And um, Alan Males, who... Just make sure that all the fuel drums are always full. Yeah, it's it just works really well. It's great. Well, it does, and uh, oh, you know, and even the facilities that you have, you don't have a massive clubhouse, but you've got the undercover pit area, which is concreted, and and yeah. power supply. I'm a big fan of like with with all these electronic these electric planes now, having facilities to charge makes a yeah. big difference to the members because now. You can buy less batteries, or you don't have to buy a generator. Uh, and you know, the club where I fly now, they've got great charging facilities. So I, I'm going to buy better quality batteries and just charge them in between flights. You know, if I've got two yeah. sets of packs, one's on the charger, one's flying, and there might be a ten minute break in between the flights. But yeah. I'm going to do that anyway. Uh, so I'm outlaying less money because I've got the ability to charge. Uh, you know, I'll take a couple of charges if I've got two packs to do, and and off you go. So it's um. That's one of the biggest things that I look for. Look, we don't have a lot of capacity out there because there's no grid power there. Um, so we just got a few solar panels on the roof and a couple of car batteries. So that distributes the 12 volts that you've seen going out to the various benches in the pits. Yeah. And there's an inverter to supply 240 volt. Uh, on the likes of the NAT day where we hook up the generator into the system. So we've got, you know, plenty of power. Plenty of power. But, but, you know, it's, it's enough for what, you know, we just say, look, if you've, you've got big batteries, charge them at home, you know, but, you know, charge some small batteries there, it's fine. Yeah, but yeah, it works out really well. Yeah. yeah, it's a good club. So, uh, what do you hope to still achieve with the hobby? Just get out there and have some, some more fun. Yeah, just look, just keep going out there and enjoying flying. You know, typically out there, we sort of, well, if you want to call them formal days, we're there Sunday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. 
that's sort of when you'll see you know, the, the, the larger gatherings of people. There could be anyone there any time of the week, but, but they're our sort of, you know, organised days, if you want to call them that. Um, so I'm out there most of those, if I can. Uh, I enjoy and hope to keep getting, you know, new people and, and teaching them to fly and um, passing that on. That That's good value. I enjoy that. You do a good job um, there. I'm just going to give the club, club a, a plug. The Sale and District Aero Modelers Club. It's located in Sale, which is at Gippsland Way down here in Victoria, Australia. Uh, world's yep. best grass on the strip and everywhere else <laughs> around. It says here the address is One Centre Road, Sale. But uh, it, look, if, yep. you, if you get a map of Sale, it's like you said, it's right near the centre of town. Uh, it's just on yeah, the right outskirts. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. not it's not it's easy to find. But the um, ju- you can jump onto Facebook Sailing District Aero Models Club. Uh, and that's right. That's Sailors S A L E by the way. And uh, and you're always welcome visitors as well if they want to drop in, don't you? Absolutely, very welcome to come. And uh, you know we've got a couple of um, trainer planes there on wireless buddy systems. You know we can give anyone who wants to a go on mode one or mode two. We kind of encourage mode one because. Nearly one, nearly everyone at the club is mode one, so it just makes sense to go that way, so that people can fly your plane and all that jazz, you know. But mode two is the mode of champions, though. That's what I say. <laughs> you know, when I was not long into helicopters, I thought, yeah, Max was mode one, so I started in mode one. I thought, uh, you know, mode two kind of makes sense. You know, it's it's logical, particularly with well, no, not particularly, but with a you know, helicopter or plane, yeah, you got that yeah, right hand stick that does pitch and roll. It just kind of makes sense. And I thought, is it is it actually better? And so I did a bit of a straw poll or you know, looked, investigated who were all the best helicopter flyers or RC helicopter flyers in the world. And it was about 50-50, you know. And I thought, you know, oh, then Curtis Youngblood, of course, he had the cuddle box, the single stick. Yeah. But um, I thought if mode one, uh, sorry, if mode two really was better, they'd all do it. So that, that was the conclusion I drew oh, at the time. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I got back into I got back into the hobby via Hallies, and, and I went mode two, uh, and it's sort of, uh, I don't regret it. I just it just oh, felt a lot more natural to me, especially for flying Hallies. But we've got Greg Fry, and you often put up uh, photos of his magnificent turbine Bell two one two. How good is it? Yeah. Now he is an interesting character. So he started radio control very young, mode one airplane flyer. Uh, he, he went on to be, uh, he's, he's a helicopter mechanic, so he did his apprenticeship out at SO's Heliport. But uh, he moved into helicopters at some point before I knew him. But um, And he had said he had trouble, he just couldn't find it natural. And he thought, oh, I'll try mode two. And he said it just kind of clicked. To this day, he flies his aeroplanes on mode one and his mm. helicopters on mode two. That is amazing. I just... I, I don't know how he gets that. his head around that. And yeah. I said to him, you know, like, do you ever muck up? And he said, oh, just once in a while I might just for a split second make a mistake, but it's never really an issue. You know, I just can't understand how he can get his head around that. It sounds terrifying to me. No, I can't do it. I'd be I'd be crashing planes. I always say to people, I, I can fly mode one, just I'll turn the transmitter upside down. That'll work. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Yeah. Now, Stephen, mm. we've come to that question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to. It's the one. It's it's the one that stumps most people, and that question is: What has been your all-time favourite model? Gee whiz! How about that, eh? That's an interesting question. See, it's always the one that stumps because you probably can I have, have two. Can I have a helicopter and an aeroplane? I was going to remind you that I said favourite model, not models. 
Okay, all right. All right. I, well, I cracked it after Norm Morris was what. on it and he gave me categories for, you know, different uh, categories in one, uh, twos and threes. But uh, That's all right, mate. You set the rules. That's fine. It's your, it's your show, your rules. <laughs> okay, I know what it is. So um, back in the day, uh, Bob Bennett's, uh, you know, stalwart of our club, um, life member actually of our club, uh, he was manufacturing fiberglass fuses for super hots. Uh, oh, I yeah. previously built from uh, scratch built a timber super hots and I uh, yeah, ran out of talent somewhere along the line with that. And so I got one of Bob's fiberglass fuses and made a phone call wing one. And it was a, uh, yeah, I don't think it had a removable wing. It just built a plane in one piece, I think. And I just absolutely loved that thing. It was fantastic. It had a pump OS61 SF in it. And I just had an absolute ball with that plane. And it's probably a thing that I had the most enjoyment out of over all of those years of radio control. Yeah, see. Until the day that, you know, they were all down at Inverloch going, how many spins can you do? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I did one too many, didn't I? Yeah, overconfidence. And, and just re-kitted it and that was the end of that. that. That HOTS plane was a really popular plane back in the oh, day, wasn't it? Just, yeah, Midwest HOTS and the Midwest Super HOTS and all the clones and, you know, Homemade kind of copies and that, like Bob's fuselage. Yeah, you might recall Bob also put together that there was a, the twin hots, sometimes known as the twats. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. ever see pictures of that, or did you ever see one? It, it, I, it's not. It's a bizarre asymmetrical. It's not one. yellow, is it? Uh well, whatever you want them to be. But I know um, that I know that there's some guys. It's a twin fuselage, twin fuselage thing. So there's a 60-size fuselage and a 40-size fuselage, side by side. Yeah. And then there's a long wing out one side and a short, short wing, wing out the other, and they uh, they they lean forward, you know, uh, whatever that's called. Uh, and it is the most bizarre-looking thing, and you have a 60 engine in one fuse and a 40 engine in the other. And I once got the two fuselages off Bob Bennett's, a 40 and a 60 uh, fiberglass fuse, and I was going to build one out. I never got around to it. I'm just looking now because yeah. I think I've taken photos of one at Bansdale um, okay. that I've got on Instagram well, and it was one of the hot, most viewed photos I've ever put okay. on on thing. And I'm, I'm just going through So have you got the picture? Because only last night I was going through some old SADAC stuff and I happened to come across a photo of, um, you know, in oh, a here sort it is. of a... Here it is, here it is, yep. yep. Okay, you it's, got it? It's, it's, yeah. it's yellow and black. And it definitely okay. is. It's that hot style, and it's got one yeah. tail, one rudder. It doesn't have yeah, two rudders. Yeah, it's only right. got yes, one rudder. Yeah. Yep, yep. But yeah. it's just one of those bizarre-looking things. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was one of these sort of spin-offs of the, the HOTS, um, you know, dynasty. Mm. Mm. That is crazy. Uh, it is yeah. an amazing plane to see. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. Hey, do I get to ask a question? No, oh, yeah, you can. Okay, go ask me a question. What was your favourite model? Oh, I do know the answer to this. I don't know what to tell you because I've been keeping it a secret. Oh, um, but um, no, no, I do have a favourite model, and it's my three D Hobby Shop seventy two inch extra because okay. that was a model that I love. Do you flying. still have it? Still have it. Still have it. Still love flying yep. it. Um, I've, I've got, I noticed the other day actually. When I was moving it around, that um, I cracked one of the hinges is broken, so I've got to uh -huh. cut the hinges off and pull the little robot yeah, hinges okay. out and replace them. So that's yeah, on the agenda. Yeah, but okay. uh, 
no, that is my favorite plane. And and, and again, it's because I love flying at one. And it was the plane that got me into selling 3D hobby shop planes because I was looking for a 30cc uh, yeah. that could fit in the back of my my, my car and in my ute. And uh, I uh, couldn't get an extreme flight because it was too long. It wouldn't fit. I looked at getting a pilot RC, but um, there were none around. It took ages. And I was snooping around and came across 3D hobby shop and there weren't any in the country and I saw people wanted them and said, oh, I'm looking for something a bit to do on the side kind of thing with my business. And next minute I became the Australian distributor and was bringing container loads of planes in. And so that was, oh. that was the model that started all that. And uh, oh. so I've got a soft spot for it, but um, but it does fly really, really well as well. So I look after it and uh, yeah. and enjoy flying it. So that, yeah. that is my favourite model. but. Well, there you go. There you go. We could do a whole episode on me next time. But actually, somebody said to me, oh, I'm yeah. going to interview you. I said, yeah, people aren't that interested. They probably heard enough from my voice. <laughs> anyway, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. No, sure it would be an interesting story. Yeah. Yep. It's been a pleasure having a chat with you. And you know, as I always say, you know, we've met before and we've conversed before, but really do we sit down and get to know someone's whole story and it's been a pleasure and I really, really yeah. enjoyed it and everybody else will say a big thank you for joining me. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Andrew. I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and they are always interesting and you do a great job of them. And I know you don't like these sorts of accolades, but I do want to thank you for the effort you put in to uh, support and promote radio control. You know, you did everything you could with that magazine and you've got your podcasts and you're just super enthusiastic about the whole scene and you do a lot of good stuff for us. So thank you. About to leave. Already packing, come with me, I'm not really asking, we'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Ah, what an episode. Stephen Green, thank you very much for joining me here, and all of you as well for joining in on this fun and frivolity that the podcast delivers, hopefully. Uh, really appreciate you listening to the podcast as I'm sure the guests do as well because it would be pretty embarrassing if nobody was interested in listening to any of these guests uh, but uh, the show continues hope we have someone talk about turbines leading up to the Wang Jets event uh, next week so uh, stay tuned for that uh, that will be coming I've got to build up my bank of interviews if anybody's got any requests of who they'd like me to have a chat with someone from your local club or something like that, then yell out and I'll see if I can get them on because, as I always say, everyone's got a story to tell and I love sharing that story. And I think if you've been listening to many of these podcasts, you realise that it's just not only the famous aero modellers that provide the entertainment, it's the average Joe Blows as well, which all have a story to tell. So enough of my yakking as the birds and the king parrots up here where I am have been driving me crazy. The baby king parrots keep on squawking and I told them to be quiet but they still keep on making noises. So anyway, I suppose I should like them because they fly. I'll be back next week. Have a good week.